let's take an unofficial poll. Unofficial poll. When you are flying on an airplane, okay, how many of you want to take the aisle seat? How many of you are the aisle seat person? Raise your hand. You want the extra leg room where you can kick your legs out. Maybe, maybe you don't like having to climb over people, and so the aisle seat is the seat to take. How many of you would say you are the window seat? Window seat, you like looking out and seeing everything happen below. I, I love the window seat because what I do, and this happens every time on takeoff, I lean my head on the window like I'm going to fall asleep, and just the, the engine of the plane, it puts me to sleep like this. Every takeoff, my wife will say every takeoff, boom, I am an aisle seat person, or, or I'm a window seat person. How many of you would say this? Any of you guys a middle seat person? Any, anybody going to say, I want the middle seat? Nobody wants the middle seat. The middle seat's when you are packed in like a, like a sardine. Usually in the middle seat, you don't get the armrest because the people beside you have taken it. Like, the middle seat is the worst. In fact, I was going to a, a leadership cohort I'm a part of. We were, had a two-and-a-half-hour flight to Reno. And so I'm on this airplane, and I, I booked my, my flight late, so I had the middle seat. And I get there, and there's these two, um, I, maybe I would say like not-so-small guys, sitting on either side. And so I sit there, and I find out they're traveling together. And I'm like, oh, you guys are friends. Do you guys want to sit next to each other? No, we don't. We intentionally chose. So I got to sit in between these two guys, join their conversations. It was quite an experience. Nobody chooses the middle seat, right? Think about this. Think about having children. How many family fights started in your car over who was going to sit in the middle seat? She touched me. He, did, he, he looked, I mean, it's just a middle seat. It's terrible. See, why don't we like the middle seat? Because the middle feels like you are stuck. You feel like you are stuck. It, and this is not only true in an airplane or in a car, it's true in life. When you get to the middle of something, you often feel like you're stuck. Like, how many of you have heard that phrase, in the middle of it? I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of it. How, how's things going? Oh, I'm in the middle of it. When somebody says, I'm in the middle of it, does that mean that things are going good or things are going kind of rough? Yeah, usually it means things are going a little bit rough. Like my wife and I, we've got five kids. Our kids range from 12 years old on the young end to 20 years old on the high end. We have been through almost all the stages of parenting, right? And every one of those stages you get into the middle of it, and you're like, literally, I'm in the middle of this stage, right? Like, like thinking about, think about newborn parents, parents with a newborn baby, right? They got this little newborn baby. Like, man, this baby has colic. This baby doesn't sleep through the night. We're just in the middle of it. And, and what happens is, is before you have the baby, you see all those pictures on Instagram of all these families with their cute little babies, and it looks so cute. They're all liars. They're, they're, they're liars, because then that baby gets colic, he doesn't sleep, and you're like, I'm so tired, I'm pulling my hair out. You're in the middle of it, right? Well then, fortunately what happens is the baby kind of gets out of that stage and begins sleeping through, your night, through the night, and you're like, yeah, we made it, we're through it. And then the next phase comes, toddlers. And then you're in the middle of it. And then you get through that stage, and then there's school, and then there's the teenage years that seem to go on forever and ever and ever. And then you get through that phase, and then all of a sudden, kids are, parent, kids are adults, and it's a whole different feel. Constantly, 
in parenting, you feel like you are in the middle of it. That's kind of, for us, that's kind of the current season we're in. Our, our oldest is 20, our second oldest is 18, and we're kind of navigating for us uh, what it looks like to parent adult children. It's, it's challenging, it's different. I wasn't prepared for this. I'd say that we are in the middle of trying to figure it out. You guys ever been there in the middle of it? Maybe not just in parenting, but in the middle of it in life. With relationships, relationships are wonderful at times. Relationships are necessary. But relationships are hard and messy, right? And sometimes you look at these relationships and you love these people, but we're like, man, we're in the middle of it right now. Man, I don't even know what to do with this guy, girl, whatever it happens to be. Might happen in the middle of financial problems. I'm in the middle of it. It might come with, with a battle on sin. It might come in your work, in different things. Man, I'm just in the middle of it. You know, we also describe that as being in the middle of a storm. You ever said that? I'm in the middle of a storm right now. See, that is a picture that comes directly out of Scripture. In Mark chapter 6, there's a story where, where the disciples of Jesus, they're in a boat. And a storm comes. A storm comes, and so the waves are, are crashing against the boat. There's water spraying. And the scripture literally says that they were in the middle of the sea. They're in the middle of the storm. And they began to lose heart. They began to get scared. They said, we don't know what we're going to do. We are overwhelmed. Let me ask you this. Have you ever lost hope? We're in the middle of a storm. I'll tell you, a month or two ago, a, a friend of mine, a man that I love, a man that I admire, uh, they're dealing with just a number of, of health issues. And I remember I talked to his wife, and his wife said, hey, uh, we got to go in for this surgery, and we don't know if this is going to solve it. The doctors have said if this surgery is not successful, there's little else that they can do for him. And I got off the phone, and I sat in my car. I thought about my friend. I thought about his wife. I thought about his children. And I was just overcome with emotion. Overcome because there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do to try and, and help them or to make circumstances better. And I sat there just feeling this weight over the potential of his, his family losing him and, and, and me losing him as a friend. Man, in the middle of the storm, you been there? Storms of this life, it might come in parenting. It might come from the potential of losing a loved one. It might come from a financial struggle or with sin. The question is, when we go through those things, when we're in the middle of it, when we're in the middle of the storm, how do we navigate through that and come out on the other side with a little bit of hope? That's what we're going to talk about today. We started this new series last week that we're calling uh, Easter People, where we're looking at people in the New Testament who met the resurrected Jesus. And this is pretty exciting. Uh, I, I tell you what, Easter is only a couple weeks away, and I am so excited for Easter. Anybody else excited for that? Right? Like, Easter, the ce celebration of the resurrection is a linchpin of Christianity. It is, it is why we gather as a church. It is, it, is, it, is, it is the core of our faith. And I am so excited. I'll tell you what, our team has been putting uh, lots of time and energy into planning how do we do Easter and do it well. And so I am so excited to be a part of it. I hope that you will as well choose to be a part of it. It's going to be a blast. In fact, I hope that you would, uh, this Easter season, I hope that you would be praying and thinking about who could you invite to church with you. 
who in your circle has not engaged with Christ, that's not walking with him, that you could invite to say, hey, come, come to Easter with me. Let's hear about the resurrection. With that, we also uh, did this work this week on Good Friday, and so there'll be some information coming out this week about Good Friday. Uh, Good Friday is the day that we observe of Christ dying on the cross, and it really, for me, Good Friday helps set Easter to be that big of a celebration. So that stuff is coming. You'll get some information about it this week. But last week in this series, we looked at how Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene, we saw that she was faithful. She just continued to show up to serve God, and and she was rewarded by being the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Today, we're going to see Jesus as he appears to the disciples. The disciples are very much in the middle of it. They're in the middle of the storm. They had given their entire lives to Jesus. They had pinned all of their hopes for the future on Jesus and what he was going to do. <coughs> now Jesus had warned them. He said, hey guys, listen, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the grave. But the disciples, they just couldn't grasp that, right? Because dead men don't walk out of the grave. And so when Jesus died on the cross, that was the worst thing that could happen to them. They're like, wait a second, Jesus, like we pinned everything on you. All of our hope for the future was on on this Jesus. And now he's dead. And they're facing this uncertain future. They're very much in the middle of it. And at that point, that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus shows up. He shows up in that moment. And his presence brings them peace and power even while they're in the middle of it. That's our story today. We're going to start John chapter 20 and verse 19. And here's how it starts. It says, evening that day, the first day of the week, which is Resurrection Sunday, the doors were locked because the disciples feared the Jews. Here's the setting, right? If we were going we to make a movie out of this, this is a setting, right? It said it was in evening, which means the sun has set, right? So you can picture lights are a little bit darker. There's darkness around, right? A little forbidding. It says the disciples were gathered. How many disciples were gathered? Well, you know, originally there was 12 disciples, but Judas, he betrayed Jesus. He's gone. And verse 24 says that Thomas wasn't there, so we got 10 disciples in a room. They're, they're, they're gathered in a room, and it says they had locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jews. Why were they afraid? Well, they were afraid because the Jewish authorities had just brutally murdered Jesus. And now, his disciples are his accomplices, right? They helped Jesus uh, uh, preach the gospel. They helped Jesus do the things that everybody was so, uh, uh, so, so mad about. And so these disciples are sitting there saying, hey, what happens if they come for us? We're probably next. They're uncertain of what the future holds. So they're huddled together. They've got the double locks on the doors, sitting in the corner of a room, overwhelmed and anxious, very much in the middle of the storm. Listen, when you're in the middle of the storm, I want you to know Jesus knows that. When you're in the middle of it, Jesus knows. He loves, he cares, he's concerned, he wants what's best for you. That doesn't mean he's always going to fix your situation or fix your problems, but he knows what you're going through, and he cares, and he desires to comfort you. And because he knows it, look what happens in verse 19. While they were locked, because, locked in the room because they feared the disciples, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace 
be with you. Again, here's the disciples, right? Their hopes were crushed at the death of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, here comes the one that they they thought was dead. Here comes the resurrected Jesus who stood among them and said, listen guys, peace be with you. See, here's a cool thing that I think when you see this, I want you to grasp. Because when Jesus says, peace be with you, peace isn't something that Jesus gives, right? Like, the text doesn't say that he came in with these wrapped boxes, uh, these packages, and says, here guys, I brought this for you, open it, here's my peace. No, that's not what he does. What does he do? He shows up among them, he walks in and he says, peace be with you. Because peace isn't something that Jesus gives, peace is who he is. He is peace. So he walks in and says, peace be with you. I mean, this is where Isaiah 9, uh, that great Christmas passage, says that Jesus uh, 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 is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.14, the Apostle Paul writes and says, he himself is our peace. This is why Jesus comes in and doesn't say, here, I'm giving you peace. He comes in and says, now peace be with you. See, so often we look at peace and we think peace is the absence of conflict, right? Like if, like if all my problems were solved, if, if I was healthy and wealthy and, and if everything was easy, then I'd be at peace. But that's not what peace is. That's not what peace is at all. We've got to reframe this idea of peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble. If Jesus is peace, then peace is the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus, as a prince of peace, whenever he is present, and no matter whatever circumstance you're going through, whenever he is present, you have peace. And so the disciples are in this room, and they're overwhelmed with fear, but Jesus is there, and their circumstances haven't changed, but they have peace because Jesus is with them. This is why the Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison. He's sitting in prison with an uncertain future facing death. But he writes and says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the disciples, nothing had changed in their their circumstances. They were still in danger. In fact, fact, almost all the disciples, except for John, they were going to be brutally martyred because of their faith. Right? The, 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 the worst thing that they could imagine to happen actually happened. Yet they no longer had a reason to fear. They could experience peace in the middle of the storm. Why? Because peace was with them through the presence of the resurrected Savior Jesus. Look what happens. It says, when Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you, verse 20, uh, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then his disciples were glad. They rejoiced when they saw Jesus. I always read scripture, and I want to ask questions. Well, why did it say this? So why did it say that when Jesus showed his hands and his side to his disciples, why did they rejoice? Well, when we think about the Easter story, we know that they nailed Jesus' hands and his feet to the cross. There was nail holes in them. And after Jesus died, the soldiers took a spear and they put it in his side to verify that Jesus had died, to verify that he was dead. And so when Jesus comes, he says, listen guys, see, see my hands. 
see my side, see, see my wounds, see my scars. He's proving to disciples, I really am Jesus. I really am the one who died and rose from the grave. I mean, think about this. For many of us, what is our greatest fear? Our greatest fear is that death is the end, right? Our greatest fear is the loved ones, the people that we love, that when they die, we won't ever see them again. That's the end. And so when Jesus came in and said, look, here's my hands. Look at my sides. What he's saying is death is not final. Death does not win. Right? The worst thing that Satan could throw at God was to kill Jesus. But that wasn't enough. Because here's Jesus showing his hands, showing his side. Look, say, look, guys, I'm alive. Death does not win. See, the resurrection of Jesus is this great comfort for us. It's this great hope in a very real sense that death is not the end. As we think about uh, those who have a relationship with Jesus, even though death creates a separation, we will see them again. That is the, the hope and the comfort that we find through the resurrection. That death is not the end. Death does not win. He shows them his hands. says, look guys, I've risen. But there's more to it than just that. Because I want you to notice this. Jesus, when he shows up into the room, right? He shows up to his disciples. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, what are all you bums doing here, sitting here afraid? He doesn't say, you guys are, are, are so dumb, why are you so afraid? He doesn't say, why are you in this room? You need to be out serving the poor. No, what does he say? He says, look what I've done for you. Look at my hands, look at my side. See, this is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us us. In fact, when you think about going through storms of your life, you think about going through hardship, and you think about the peace that God offers us, listen, that peace is not a result of what we do. The presence of God is not a result of us being good enough, of us earning it, of us being righteous. No, the peace of God is simply an example of what Christ has done for us. And that's why Jesus comes in and says, hey guys, why aren't you guys doing more for the poor? Why aren't you doing these things? He simply comes and says, let me show you what I've done for you. Because that is where peace and the presence of God and heaven and joy are found. Not in what we do, but in what he has done for us. It continues in verse 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. All right, here, here's the picture, right? Disciples are gathered in the room. They're overcome with fear. And Jesus shows up. His presence comes. And they have peace. And that's what happens when we gather with Christians, is we get the, the presence and the peace of Jesus. This is why I love gathering with Christians. Because when we gather, we get to encourage one another. We get to support one another. We, do, we get to study scripture together. We get to worship God together. We get to spur one another on to good works. We get to support one another. That's, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's why one of the things we say here at Restoration Church is that we belong together. We're a people that belong together, which means we love one another. 
We live life with one another. We walk alongside one another as we navigate the storms of this life. It's a beautiful thing. We become a family, the family of God. So when we gather, we have Jesus among us, and we have his presence and his peace with us. But here's the thing. We're not just called just to gather. Jesus also calls us to scatter. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, he sent me into the world, and I proclaim uh, the gospel, I proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, and now he says, now I'm sending you into the world. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you into the world to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. See, do you realize that all of us here today, if we proclaim to be a Christian, that God has sent you on a mission. God has given you a purpose. And let me tell you what, it's not about you. It's not about your experience. It's not about trying to make you great. It's about his kingdom. And so God ha has sent you into circles of influence. And you look and say, well, what are my circle of influence? Well, you've got an extended family. You've got a job. You've got a neighborhood. You've got a school. You've got, you've got uh, a sports team. You've got the ski hill that you go to on Saturdays. You've got all these different things. Listen, God is sending you with a message of the kingdom of God into those places. You are set to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and here's the picture of this. Just as when the Christians were gathered together, the disciples are gathered, and Jesus says, peace be with you. He says that again as he scatters them. And so there's this idea that we have the peace of God, the presence of God, both when we scatter, or both when we gather, which I love gathering, but we also have the peace and the presence of God as we scatter into the places that God has called us to go. In fact, look what he does next. Verse 22. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, John 14 we said this last week, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples, to the Christians. And he said, listen, when you have the Holy Spirit, I will be with you forever. And now as Jesus is sending his disciples out on mission, out, out with, with, with a purpose, he gives them the Holy Spirit to say, listen, I will, my presence will always be with you. I will be with you always. You will always have my presence and my peace within you. I mean, this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, that he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. It's through the Holy Spirit we have him residing within us. And he sent them out on mission and says, listen, you have peace with you as you go. I just, I love this story. I, I love this story. Because it's so real, right? Like, how many of you have ever just been in the middle of it? You've been through the storms of life, difficult things, uncertain future. You feel tired and anxious and overwhelmed and afraid. Just like the disciples. When they're in the middle of it, I want you to know that God knows. God cares. God sees. And it's in the middle of it that Jesus steps in and says, peace be with you. He shows you his hands. He shows you his side to say, listen, peace is with you now. 
In fact, that's what this passage is trying to teach us. That through the resurrection of Jesus, we have his presence and his peace in the middle of whatever we're facing and wherever we are called to go. Because of the resurrection, we have his presence and his peace with whatever we are facing, whatever storm, whatever difficulty, whatever we're in the middle of it, you'll have his presence and peace with you. And wherever God has placed you, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, God's peace and presence goes with you. You know, when I think about this, probably one of the things I love most about this story is I think about the difference that the peace and the presence of Jesus made in these disciples. Right? Because we, we find the disciples, they're sitting in a room completely afraid. Right? I mean, when you think about what happened before uh, the death of Jesus, like, you've got Peter denying Christ three times. You've got the disciples, they're scattering, that they're leaving Jesus when he needs them most. They're gone. But then suddenly, Jesus appears to them, and it's almost as if these disciples become different people. Because when they go out on mission, we find Peter, Peter standing very boldly for Christ. We see John proclaiming the kingdom of God. We see these disciples standing up completely unafraid, completely unfazed by what's happening around them. They're going to be beaten and arrested. They're going to be told not to preach again. They're going to they're be facing immense opposition. They're going to be facing martyrdom for their faith. Yet these guys are walking in complete peace and confidence in the power of God doing all that God had called them to do. And what was the difference? What's the difference between before Christ and after Christ? It's simply the presence of the resurrected Savior. Simply His presence. See, when Jesus died, when Jesus died, His disciples thought they were saying goodbye to His presence. He's gone. He's not with us anymore. But when Jesus rose from the grave, when Jesus gave his Holy Spirit to them, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God to intercede on their behalf, he secured for them and he secured for us his presence forever. Which means that his presence is with us every time we gather with other Christians. Which means his presence is with us in our individual hearts and lives in every Christian. And I can't be certain about whatever situation you are facing this morning. Likely there are some of you in the middle of it right now. You're in the middle of a storm. You've got relationship struggles. You've got things breaking. You've got health failing. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. Tired, overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, uncertain of what tomorrow holds. Listen, whether that's where you are today, or whether you've been there and you're going to be there again in the middle of it. I invite you this morning to open your eyes and your ears and your mind and your heart. I invite you this morning to experience his presence again today. Listen, Jesus is alive. Jesus is present in this room. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He is present in our hearts and in our lives. And I invite you this morning to, to experience his presence, his peace again.
His presence, we don't get it from some spiritual experience. We don't get his, 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 his presence because we earn it, because we're good enough. Simply we experience his presence by simply resting in him. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, and I will give you that rest. John 1 says that if we receive him, if we believe in his name, listen, that's all I'm asking you to do today, is to believe in him and experience what he's already given to you. He's already showed up to say, here's my hands, here's my side. All we have to do is, is believe it. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Because I'll tell you what, like theologically, I know this is true. Like theologically, I know, yeah, God's given me the Holy Spirit. God is with me always. Like I know that. But I'll be honest, in my heart, in my life, in my day-to-day, -day, I forget that. And it's so easy for me to be overcome with fear, overcome with my problems. Where I'm in the middle of it, I almost forget to look towards God, and I'm only looking at the circumstance in front of me. It's so easy for me to take my eyes off of Him and put it onto the problem that I'm facing. This is why... Well, this is one of the benefits of why we gather. It's so time and time and time again, we can be reminded of the truth. We can be reminded. This is why we gather when we sing songs that remind us about the blood of Jesus applied. This is why we, we gather. So even though we know the truth, that we'd be reminded to believe in it again. Because that's what the Christian faith is. Coming back and again and again and again, believing what he has done for us. And that's where we get that peace when we're in the middle of it. That's when we experience his presence. But not only that, we also get his peace to go out to do whatever God has called us to do. In fact, a friend of mine came into the office this week. And I don't know, maybe you're in the same situation. And he's like, you know, Kevin, we're living in such dark times. Our world is so difficult and dark and discouraging. There's war and, and there's violence and there's hatred and there's abuse and there's all this bad stuff happening over it. And I'm like, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. We live in dark times. But you know, when I hear that, I don't lose hope. Because when I think about the dark times that we live, man, it motivates me. And this is why I would say now more than ever, more than ever is we need Christians and the people of God to, to step up, to step up and speak the message of the peace of God to a world that is overcome with fear. Like our world is, is, is falling apart, and here we are with the message of peace, of hope. And what are we doing? We're twiddling our thumbs playing Candy Crush and all that other stuff we do. Our life is not just these cute Instagram pictures that we post to say, look how great our life is. Our life is not about just us experiencing good things. No, our world is broken around us. Our city, our neighborhoods, our schools, they're broken. 
And God has given us a message of hope, a message of peace about the resurrected Savior who gives us His Holy Spirit, who lives within us where we can experience peace no matter what we're facing. And we are sent with that message. We are sent with that message to change the world through the message of the cross. Can, can you picture it? Can you picture it in your mind? The peace of God flowing into our cities, into our neighborhoods, into places like Ukraine and Russia. Can you picture God transforming lives, transforming families? Can you picture God bringing light from darkness and beauty from the ashes? You know how he does that? He does that through us. He does that through you and me. When we think about those disciples, we think about Mary Magdalene. That when we are an Easter people, that when we are gripped by His presence, we are gripped by His grace, we are consumed with His glory and fueled by His Spirit, when we are obedient to what He's called us to do, that is when the power of God is unleashed all around us. And that is when we see the message of peace beginning to fix the broken things. Fix the broken people, the broken families, broken communities. And I tell you what, this world we live in is dark. But I can't tell you the hope I have because of the cross. Because of what he's done for us. Because he said, here's my hand, here's my side, my presence is with you. So every one of us listening today, as we scatter into our neighborhoods, our workplace, you are, you are a messenger of peace, bringing hope to the world around us to restore the things that have been broken. Let's pray.